And so the Beastie Boys come on, hey ladies. Hey ladies! Funky. When I picked her up, I don't know, like this was like, I'll never forget it, it was like a year ago. And for like, I don't probably three months straight, every time she got in my car, Daddy, hey ladies, hey ladies. <laughs> Here comes one of the younger guys, Schaller. Crossover move in front, he scores! What a goal by Tim Schaller! And it's four to one! And welcome to another edition of Bruins Beat here on CLNS Media. Your host, Jimmy Murphy, here. And I'm joined now by uh, a guest. I've kind of known her through Twitter and just finally met her this season because uh, she's now covering the Boston Bruins for Bruins Daily, Boston.com, and Stanley Cup of Chowder on SB Nation. And uh, her main gig, though, is uh, College Hockey News. And we welcome on Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you doing? Hi, everybody. Um, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. And Sarah, before we get into some Bruins talk here, I'd love to just get your background, you know, on how you got into hockey media and, you know, just stuff that, uh, you know, maybe the readers don't know about you and kind of how you ended up where you are right now. So I guess uh, I'll let you take it from there. Okay. This is kind of a long story, so bear with me. But um, I mean, I was around, I grew up in Boston. I was around hockey all my life. My brothers played. I just grew up around it. But I didn't really want to be a writer until I got to Penn State. That's where I went to college. And the team went from club to number one in the nation in the five years I was there. So I was always interested when it was a club. And then I started covering the team for a website that I ran at Penn State. And um, I just covered their incredible run. And I realized this stuff is awesome. It's emotional. It's fun. And I would love to do it for my whole life. So then I went to Pittsburgh and I covered the Penguins. And... I realized I just wanted to come home and there's a ton of college hockey here, which I love. And then there's a ton of, I just wanted to cover the team that I grew up watching. So here I am. So you were in Pittsburgh, you got to cover uh, the Penguins while you were there? Yeah, yeah. I actually came back home mid-season after covering the Penguins to cover the Bruins. But um, okay, cool. it was really cool, obviously, to talk to Sidney Crosby and people like that. <laughs> So, so basically, you kind of looked at it and you said, oh, well, the Penguins are going to decline. The Bruins are going to rise. <laughs> it was I'm actually jump ship here. <laughs> it was funny because I was at – I left the, like, exact second the Bruins started going on their run. It was it was pretty interesting, but, um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Well, you must be a good luck charm, I guess. But I guess. Um, we'll see. <laughs> but you're talking about Penn State there, and, man, like, they have uh, – you know, they're I like what they're doing there and that they, they do have a D1 program now, and – you're seeing schools also like Arizona State, and um, you expecting to see more universities or colleges that we kind of, when we say their name, we think of college football. Are you expecting to see any more of those kind of jump into the college hockey fray? Oh, absolutely. I know that there are people high up in the Penguins that are trying to fund pit hockey, which would be awesome. And because, I mean, it's Pittsburgh's kind of a hockey town now, and they need, they have Robert Morris, but they need something. Yeah, the city, and I think um, a few more Big Ten schools are going to make the jump in the few coming years. I like to see that grow because I mean we've had hockey's forever in Minnesota, but to see it grow and pop up in like Arizona and Penn State, it's awesome. You know what I think it would be good too for some of the the guys that are playing club hockey now. I mean, I've I've covered some club hockey games this year up at UMass, and it's like pretty intense hockey, and there's a lot of good players and. You know, they just didn't get full boats and they couldn't really afford to try to go to one of these schools tuition-wise and then try and make it on as a, as a walk-on. So 
um, you know, maybe if these schools do that, they get another chance. Who knows? Yeah, you know what? You, you hear the word club and you think it's just a joke or something like that. But no, they practice pretty much every day of the week. And um, I mean, Northeastern's goalie, Northeastern just called up a goalie from their club team. And it's like they take it serious and they're actually good hockey players. So it's pretty cool. That's cool. Now you've been uh, you're here covering college hockey, obviously in a great college hockey area. Yeah. Um, before we get into the Bruins talk here, so we go down a stretch run. Are there any teams you're kind of keeping an eye on that nobody's talking about? I mean, people have started talking about Northeastern, but from the beginning of their season, you could tell they got up to their best start since 2008. And I think they could actually make a run this year. I mean, defense has always been their problem, but their new freshman goalie is a stud. And um, I think they've, they're the highest ranked in hockey East for the longest time, for the first time in forever. And, I think you should watch out for them. And also, I mean, Notre Dame, everybody's talking about them too. But um, any dark horses? Um, I mean, would you consider Harvard a dark horse right now, or are they just too stacked to say that? I don't think you can call any team with Adam Fox and Ryan's not on it. Yeah. <laughs> dark horse, but kind of, yes. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of borderline there, you know. But it would be nice to see them take a nice run there. Um but speaking of Ryan Donato, I mean, you think he's there for a run or you think we, uh, we see him make the jump? That's a great question. I, I think he would make the jump. What do you think? I mean, I'm, I don't see why not. And I, I had tweeted a while back because um, I'd heard Pierre Maguire say it up in Montreal, and he told me on the phone as well that he was going to do that. I mean, he was going to leave right after the Olympics and go to the Bruins. But I don't know. Like, I, I kind of see it's like, well, do you need to do that that fast? You could still kind of see where your team goes in the in the tournament, and then still hook on for the playoffs. You know, yeah, like, I think if they make the, yeah, if they make the playoffs, I think he'd stay. I think he can do that. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what he does, but I definitely think he's going to be on the Bruins roster pretty soon. But let's talk about that Bruins roster right now, and obviously. Uh, with the Patriots losing, uh, you know, people are starting to jump on the bandwagon and, and try and hitch on. And it's I don't about think, time. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they've been paying enough attention. Who cares? Like, I don't understand. I never understood this thing where, like, the Boston sports media is so – and fans, too, get so – I get it. They've won all these championships, but you're hooked on a team that plays once a week. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like you have to give your dedicated attention 100% to a team that plays once a week. I mean, there's plenty of games in between each game. There's plenty of Celtics games, plenty of Bruins games, and maybe Red Sox. Like, I, I never understood that excuse. Oh, well, we, we won't hop on until after the Patriots are done. But it is what it is. This is a Patriots town right now. And I, you know what? Unfortunately for the Bruins, I still don't think they're going to get attention because of the soap opera in Foxborough right now. But Yeah, this is ridiculous. So. Uh, yeah. But, well, Tom you Brady left an Instagram, everybody. Yeah, exactly. But for those who are kind of uh, half in, half out, I mean – to you, what's the what's the greatest thing about this current Bruins squad that stood out to you? And and obviously you weren't around for the first half of the season, so I guess you know, in your short time here, what what has been the biggest sort of eye opener for you watching this team? Well, I always kept tabs on it because I mean I'm from Boston, but I I think it's just it's fun for them, and it seems like they just will find multiple ways to win. And I also think the youth just finding a way to get it done. That's such a good sign for the future. It just seems like they're building something 
that can last. And Bruce Cassidy, I, I really like the way that he coaches. I think he has a lot of respect for his team. And I really like watching that turn into something successful. Yeah, and it's amazing. I couldn't even believe it. It's, it's already a year since uh, they fired Julian. He was hired. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll eat crow. Uh, you yeah. know, I, won't, I won't veer away from what I said at the time of that hiring, that there was a lot of Bush League stuff going on behind the scenes. And I think, you know, the way they did it under the, the cloud of the Patriots parade was a little cheesy too. But, um, you know, I, I still don't blame Julian for everything that was going wrong at that time and everything that sort of went wrong in the years before. And there's a lot more to it. And, you know, there never, there's stuff I can't publicly say, but I know, and I'm going to stand by that. That being said, I, I think that, you know, Cassidy, like you said, he's been a great hire and he's done a great job and it made sense that they hire him, you know, considering all the work in chemistry I already had with these young kids. Yeah. I just think that the manner it was done and, you know, sort of hiring him as assistant and letting that hang over and it, it just created a horrible environment, but they're past that now. Yes. I'll give them credit where it's due. And, you know, you look at, you, you bring up, you know, he's good with the team there. I think that's been one of the greatest things too. Um, I guess my question to you is, you know, when you first came back and you hear how blunt he is to the mm-hmm. media uh, after games or after practices, did, did that take you aback? And, you know, like me, were you a little worried? Like, whoa, how, how the players handling this? Um, you know what? I think I, I liked it because it just seemed transparent and it felt yeah, like great for us. Like, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was great for me, but I think, I don't know. They had people like Chara always saying stuff like, they're not rookies, they're first-year players. So I think it was clear that they want to hold the players accountable too and that they're not doing it in a way that's like placing blame on the players, but he's just being honest. And I feel like if I – I mean, I would never know because I'm never going to be in their shoes, but if I was a player, I'd kind of respect that because then he does stuff like gives them the um, alternate captain sweater in their hometown and stuff like that. And I think it just shows that he's going to hold them accountable, but – he's not going to do it in a way that's like taking blame away from himself. I do think he's so blunt about, especially goaltending. It, it kind of took me aback when he was saying yeah. like, that goal was just bad to let in. I was like, wow, I can't believe you really said that, but I really respect that obviously. Well, you know what I did and I, yeah, I was the same way, but then, and you know, if you do some research about his history of why he got fired in Washington, given that was, you know, over 15 years ago, um, but that the main reason he got fired in Washington was for calling the players out. And, and, but the problem there was from everything I read was he was doing it to the media before he was doing it to his players. And apparently since he's been with the Bruins, he'll go in and he'll say, look, this is what I think. All right. And this is what I'm going to say. Are you all right with it? And, like, I had Krejci tell me that. I had Chara tell me that. I had Rass tell me that. And, you know, Krejci was pretty funny when he said, he said, look, you know, that that's how he's doing it. He'll come in. He tells us everything he, he might say to you. So we already know it beforehand. He's already called us out if we've done something wrong. But then he goes, but if that changes, then we're going to have a big problem. And I thought that was interesting the way Krejci threw that in there. But, you know, because I feel like Krejci – 
and maybe even Chara and some of the, the vets that were there with Julian for so long, I, I, I think it truly took them a bit to trust him and, and to sort of adapt to him because they've only known one coach. Right. You know, and I, I thought that was an interesting – I didn't take it as a jab, but I thought it was an interesting peek into the relationship between him and the vets. And then – you know, I asked – I think it was a couple of days after that in a, in a practice press conference, I, I sort of asked him about this whole subject. And, you know, he was really um, applauding the vets, saying, yeah, I mean, I knew that coming in. I was going to have to win those guys' trust way more than I was going to have to win the young kids. Mm-hmm. He wasn't saying, look, I don't care about the young kids, but he's like, we chose to keep this core here. So, obviously, I needed a, a good relationship with them. And I think that's one of the reasons they struggled, Sarah, at the beginning. I mean, if you look the way they were playing, it wasn't it wasn't his style. It wasn't Julian's. They were just sort of like in this purgatory. And I don't know if you agree with me, like from basically October till late November, you know? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Um, it didn't seem like there was an identity. Um, I think they've definitely found that now. And there's a lot of chemistry on the line. I like the way that, I mean, he just, he obviously kept the first line together. That was obviously a great call by him. And I don't know if a lot of coaches would have done that. Um, I think mm-hmm. he's good at making decisions. Oh, you there? Yeah, sorry. Okay. So you were just saying uh, you don't know if coaches would have done that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like for a lot of coaches, it would just be kind of um, second nature to, spread the wealth a little bit, but I think mm-hmm. him keeping that together even after people started getting healthy again was really smart. And um, he's been really smart with Tuca too. Mm. Yeah. How, I mean, what stood out to you about that, the way he's handled Tuca? I mean, when Tuca had a bad stretch, he put um, Dobie in and then he knew right when to put Tuca back again. And it just, it seems like that's a tough call to make that you have to, goalies are kind of weird and you have to be able to kind of understand them if you're a coach. And I feel like he just has an understanding of when to put either one in, because when you have like a two goalie situation, it can obviously, I mean, as you've seen in the media and fans, it's obviously a tough call, but it seems like, I mean, judging by Tuka's recent run and that, I think that he knows how to handle them. And I think that is so important. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. I mean, I would, I would think that, uh, you know, if he was smart and it wouldn't surprise me if he actually did this, I, I bet, you know, if I'm Bruce Cassidy and I'm coming in, like you said, goalies are a different breed and that's not a knock on them. It's just a fact. I was a goalie. I'm, I'm a weird guy. So, you know, that's just a fact, but you know, I, I think that, uh, if I was him coming in, one of the first things I would have done would have been like, look, uh, Goalie Bob, of course, we're referring to Bob Ascenza, the, the goalie coach. I would have said, uh, so what's your, what's your favorite watering hole around here? You know, he tells me what it is. Well, so let's say it's the fours across the street. He goes, okay, well, open tab on me for, uh, for the season. <laughs> and, you know, here you go. Now give me the dirt. Like, get, get me up to date. Get me everything I need. And, you know, I'm sure those guys had a lot of powwows, uh, you know, trying to understand – the idiosyncrasies of the goaltending situation here in Boston. And yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, he made it clear to Tuca too, going back to what we were saying about being blunt in the media. I think 
he probably made it clear to him, like, hey, I'm not blaming you and I'm not calling you out. And you can even go back, right? I mean, you weren't here, but if you go back and you read the quotes, I think it was like when they, they had lost two straight to Colorado, like one on a Monday afternoon here and I think a Wednesday night in Colorado, he was uh, he was blunt with Rask, like saying he could have made some sit, but he also was like, you know, our defense is a mess. Look at the odd man rushes. Yeah. And Rask was saying the same thing, and yet Rask was getting hated on. And now let, let's segue to that now because I know we want to talk about Tuca and sort of the hate for him around here. Everybody always says he throws people under the bus. I think he has at times, but he's not really. Like, I think he's just like – he's like Cassidy. And I, I think him, he probably tells the players the same thing he's telling us. He's just telling you what he sees, and he's got the best freaking seat in the house – so why can't you take that at face value? I mean, what's with the hate this guy gets, Sarah? Yeah, I don't – I mean, I think that goalie hate is just – it's the easiest position to just – other than a coach, too. It's just easy to make that person the scapegoat. I mean, you saw it in Pittsburgh with um, Matt Murray and Mark andre Fleury, and now everybody loves on Mark andre Fleury now that he's gone. And I think the same thing will happen when Tuca leaves. And it's like, you want to compare him to – Thomas but you can't and I don't know it's like people lose all mental capacity for (laughs) (laughs) context when they think about goalies like the goalie yes it's the most important part of the defense but the defense is it goes hand in hand you have to look at that too and I think people just want a simple solution to look at and say this is what's wrong with the team this is what happened and it's never really that's it sometimes is but usually not and they just want it to be that simple so i think that's what happens uh, yeah and there's just one thing i get i don't know if you get it too like when i'm defending rask on twitter here's helm closing the wrist shot get saved by rask what a marvelous save by tuka rask the pinball flipper uh which is probably just a stupid exercise in itself because i mean haters <laughs> But, you know, when I try to defend them, they're always like, oh, talk to us when he wins a playoff round. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> but, like, did, did you watch 2013? I mean, were you there for that? Uh, you know, even the year they blew it to Philly, he got them to game seven in the second round. Uh, he got them to game seven in the second round in 2014. And then people are like, oh, well, what did he do last year? I'm like, well – you really want to say that? Like, why don't we go back and review those kids? They, they get swept by Ottawa, if not for Tuka Rask. Yeah. I mean, he was amazing in that series. Yeah, it's just so easy to be like, to point him out as the one thing. And I don't, I don't get that. But now that there's two, like, I don't know. I yeah. think um, judging goalies by wins, you have to do it sometimes, but it's just not – you can't just use that as the one stat against a goalie or you don't really yeah. know what you're talking about. Well, you know, it's a, like I saw uh, when, over the, the summer, I was uh, at this sort of hockey seminar. It was more about like analytics and stuff. And, and uh, Ascenza spoke at it, you know, and he's like, we don't, he said exactly what you just said. So good call by you. He was like, we don't really look at the wins. We don't really look at the goals against. We look at timely saves. And good saves, like, uh, you know, timely saves, but also saves he should make. And we kind of, I forget the, you know, how they computed and everything he told us, but I don't remember now. I'm not good at that stuff. But (laughs) I was never good at math, Sarah. That's why I'm a writer, you know, so. (laughs) But um, 
You know, and I'll, I'll agree with that. And was he making those timely saves in that bad stretch? No, he wasn't. But the team wasn't making timely play in front of him either. I thought it was just a, you know, a dumpster fire altogether. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't sit there. And one thing I'll do is I'll, I'll admit when I'm wrong, I'll be objective. I'm not, you know, I'd like Tuka. I think he's a good goalie, but you know, if he sucks, I'm going to call him out for it. So I just hope going forward, because we're going to get into the stretch now. I mean, I think the Bruins, it's amazing where they are. They're awesome right now. But Sarah, I don't know if you peaked at the schedule the rest of the season. I mean, I, I think I heard at the All-Star break, and you correct me if I'm wrong, at the All-Star break, had the Bruins played, was it the second most fewest games? Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I, Some, I, I swear to God I heard that from one of the players, I think, was saying it before they went to the break, saying, yeah, we got to rest up this weekend because it's going to be insane the rest of the way. And then, so if that's the case, right, if they're playing now the second most games until the end of the regular season – and then you're in the playoffs, which we all know is a war of attrition. Like, I don't know, just your take on this team. Do you think at this current point, I know they're awesome right now. I know where they are in the standings. But are they, are they, are they built for a real playoff run? You know what? I, I mean, I saw the Penguins go back-to-back, and I saw how they did it with a mixture of their, obviously, three of the best players in the world. And then – a bunch youth. of youth when they when the, those players were kind of falling apart they had to rely on the youth and I think that this Bruins team kind of reminds me of that with um Bergeron Marchand and um Char yeah and then McAvoy I love the McAvoy Chara pairing so much because I think they just feed off each other like Chara gives McAvoy confidence and then McAvoy can play the long minutes to keep Chara energized and I think the dynamic like that makes me think that a lot of games aren't really a big issue, even though, I mean, they typically would be. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I, th- I think, though, you know, you look at it. Okay, so one of the things, too, you grew up in Boston, and mm-hmm. you know how much over the course of history ownership has interfered with, you know, management and, and kind of – ordered them to do things that maybe the GM wouldn't have done if that didn't happen. And, you know, mm-hmm. I look at it, I mean, two years ago, and I reported this and Cam Neely wasn't too happy about it, but I still stand by it. You know, I, they for multiple sources, one of them being high up in St. Louis, I was told they ordered Sweeney to keep um, Erickson. Remember when he was going to be a pending UFA? Oh, Yeah. Okay, and they had a sick deal on the table. It was a it was a first rounder and a prospect. And look, I don't know about you, but I always thought Louis Erickson was an enigma, and I, I always thought he had a good year that year because it was a free agent year. And then I was like, wherever he goes, he's going to be a bust. And oh well, look what happened. <laughs> so I was like, take what you can get for him right now. He's not coming back. You're not going to pay him the money he wants. Yeah. And they didn't do it. And you know because they thought they had a legitimate chance at the cup. Now, do they have a much better chance at the cup now than they did that? Yeah, hell yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to compare those two scenarios in that regard. But what I'm saying is I hope that they don't jump in right now, you know, whether that be Neely or Jacobs, and they say, Donnie, go for it. Make the big deal. Give up the farm for, for an unrestricted, like, like yeah. for a Rick Nash, okay? <laughs> like, you, 
I don't know what your take is. I mean, maybe you, you're the opposite. You think they should go for it, but I'm sort of like, there's ways to go for it and not mortgage the future. And I think the biggest way to do that is let Sweeney follow his plan and do what he says. He, he could still go out there and get an impact player, but he doesn't have to get that mega player like a Kane or a Nash to, to put them over the top, which might not even put them over the top as we've seen yeah. from other trades in the past like that. What's your take on this? I agree with that. I think the chemistry in this team is really specific. And I think that you can tell that when certain players are injured and they have to mess around the lines and it just doesn't seem to click the way it does. So I feel like if it's not broken, you don't have to fix it. And I think there are, like you said, ways to go about investing in the future and you don't need that big player right now. I mean, there's enough big players on the team right now. Yeah. I mean, I think like, a perfect fit for them right now, and I, I'm hoping. Like I, I say this every year, I think that GMs are gonna, you know, come to their senses, and they're not gonna blow up the market and pay astronomical prices for borderline UFAs. But I think a perfect fit for them would be Michael Grabner. Grabner, backhander, he scores! It's a hat trick for Michael Grabner. And. You know, I had actually someone tell me today that they are, they have been scouting him pretty heavily. And, you know, you, he, the same person pointed out to me, you look back, I think it was two years ago when he was an unrestricted free agent, uh, they had an offer down. Him. Like they were one of his main suitors. And I like the way he fits in because he's got some speed. He can snipe and they're kind of looking for like a scoring winger, one more scoring winger to add some depth there. He could be a good fit. You know, what do you think? Um, I'd agree with that. I I don't see why not. I think that'd be good because it wouldn't be some ridiculous blockbuster type of trade, but right. it for sure. You know, and I mean, if you looked at them right now, what are some of the needs you think they could address if they do address anything at the deadline? I mean, is it, you know, is it a top 60 or what do you, how do you see this team right now? Um, I think... Yeah, yeah. I think another, maybe another defenseman could mm-hmm. be. I, I really don't know if I would change anything, but I think some more defensive depth would be good, especially, um, I mean, Char doesn't seem like he's slowing down at all. If anything, he's human. Yeah, exactly. But I think replacing him is something you need to think about long-term. And I think – the Bruins have the, I mean, luxury of thinking long-term right now because the team is doing so well. So maybe something like so, that. So are, you say, so are you saying more of a – you're saying like bring in like a, a top six guy? I mean a top four guy? Um, honestly, I don't, I don't really or have – Are you saying like a seventh or eighth right now? Yeah, I get. I mean, I don't have many takes about this trade deadline because I think I don't like the idea of them messing with mm-hmm. this right now, but I do understand that they probably why wouldn't they try to make it as best as they can, but Well, I think you make an interesting point though. And I I think and, and you're right. I can tell you you're right. It's something that Don Sweeney's been trying for for like almost 2 years now. Not, not to find, like you said, you're never going to replace Char, but to get somebody that can jump into that top two pairing or, or maybe a three or four there, um, you know, but some of the guys 
I, I think that's more something we're going to see at a draft. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's why I'm yeah. thinking, that's why I kind of like just back down yeah. on that because that's a draft thing. Right. But it's interesting, right? Because then, you know, let's circle back to the Rangers, Sarah. And one of the names we keep hearing is Ryan McDonough. And like he, in my eyes, he, he perfectly fits what you're talking about, what they need going forward in the future. So it's like, you know, what if the Rangers come to you and they, they kind of give you this deal for him? I, I don't know. Like, that's a tough position to be in. But if I'm, I'm with you, I, I sort of stand pat on something of that magnitude. I don't do now. Just wait to the draft. But I'm telling you, keep an eye on Grabner. I think that's going to be something uh, that could definitely happen where the, the Bruins get a guy like him, or maybe it's a, you know, a, a similar type forward that can jump into your top six and, you know, you give up a second or third rounder, but yeah, I don't like the, I don't dislike the idea of that. I just, I don't know. I've seen too many trades go awry oh, yeah. that were certain to be good that I hesitate to like, like Michael Hansel last year. <laughs> oh my. So I got so much heat on that. I was like praising, uh, Fletcher for that. I was just like, well, oh, Minnesota's a cup contender. Now I so jumped on that bandwagon. Well, don't we all? How are we supposed to know? That's why. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm with you on that. But hey, before we go, I want to, you know, we brought up Pittsburgh there. You're familiar with that team. They've been starting to turn it around lately. You know, they're definitely still looking for another center. And maybe even, I mean, you see them being pretty active. Rutherford's been uh, known to make some big deals as we approach okay. the deadline. But he seems to always do it before the deadline, which I love, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I thought. Weren't there scouts in Boston? Weren't they going to – something going on with Ian Cole? Um, yeah, yeah, yep. I, yeah, I actually – I have a source that told me, and I, I wrote this, like, apparently the Penguins offered Ian Cole straight up for Kevin Miller, and the Bruins, you know, like, no, no thanks. Because, like you said, they want to keep their D-depth, and they think Miller's, you know, a better option to have there. Um yeah. But, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that you could see, and they've been playing him more. If you looked at it, I think he's gotten in, like, the last few games. Yeah, he, as he should be. I mean, Matt Hunwick is not as good yeah. as him, just point blank. So that's why I was wondering why he got scratched. But I thought maybe, it would be – Maybe they're showcasing him. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, I mean, I personally think he's a great player. He's really smart. And yeah, I'm with he's, you. He's a good person. So I'd love to see him in Boston. But um, I don't think that, that – if you said that didn't happen, I yeah, I thought they would trade for that. It wouldn't really make sense because it, there's no need for him on this team. I don't think. Right. Yeah, they kind of get the same type of player already. Um, but you know, you look at Pittsburgh. Though, I I think we could we could get off this phone call right now and we could read about them making a deal because I I think Rutherford's really working something right now. I'll tell you one thing though. Somebody I know, like, and I I've through just like friends that I've just known people that have worked in the organization. So I've got to know a lot of people in the Pittsburgh organization mm -hmm. and I've had three of them reiterate to me and emphasize, we will not be acquiring Evander Kane. And when I asked why, and I said, is it because of his rep? They all said, yep. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. They're all about keeping a locker room with like generally good guys. And you can tell, I mean, that was my experience when I was there too. So when I heard that Evander Kane was popping up in the trade rumors, I just thought, absolutely not. They would yeah, not. Yeah, not for Pitt. No. You don't win back-to-back -back Stanley Cup championships 
with people like that, like on your team. I, I that's what I think at least. Yeah, and it's like I wish that like when is this kid ever gonna wake up and get it? And I feel so bad because I also I know Steve Gurley pretty pretty well. He's an assistant GM now there in Buffalo. Sorry, he's a great guy and like. You know, he, he was pretty excited when he took the job. He was like, yeah, we're going to miss the playoffs. We're going to suck again. But at least we, we, we're starting to, like, really wipe the slate clean, and we're going to build something. We got Ico. We got, you know, Ristolanian. And, and then this guy has just come in, and, like, it's been a shitstorm ever since he's been there. You know, and, and then he, he ends up hurting his own teammate, and Bogosian's out for the year, and, like, nobody's going to touch it. Like, they're going to have to end up moving him for, like, a bag of pucks because – He's so risky to take if you're if you're the team acquiring him, you know? I feel so bad for the Sabres every time I watch interviews and the guys they really care mm-hmm. about. It seems like they care about Buffalo a lot and people. And like, that's a hockey town too. Yeah, and they want to win some of them, but it's just the culture. They really need to change it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. But, I mean, I want them to do good. I mean, I love seeing – I want to see, I always like seeing all the teams in the same division as the Bruins do well because it means we get to see good hockey – yeah. and cover good games, you know, like I, that's just the way, even if, even if it's Montreal, you know, but I mean, you want to see competitive hockey. So I hope the Sabres uh, get it together there. Hey, listen, Sarah, before we let you go, I, I've got to ask you, uh, cause it's something we do for all our guests, uh, your musical tastes. And I, I, I'm sure you've got a, a wide variety, but is there, is there a band you tend to listen to a lot? One you're listening to recently? Well, I've been to 15 third eye blind concerts. I'm not exactly. No! Chat, but I, I love them and I love <laughs> their concerts. <laughs> wow, and you're like uh, you're not really uh, the age group when they were real popular, right? How'd you get into yeah. them? Well, my brothers are ten years older than me, and that was like okay. third eye blind. They're um, like thirty two and thirty one, so I grew up listening to their type of music. So I've they've been a huge influence, and um, they're just good. I mean, I like I your brothers like- already. That's a good. <laughs> Everybody likes um, Semi-Charm Life and Jumper, but their deep cuts are so good, and their concerts are always just, like, the okay. most fun I have of the year. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I like your brothers, I try to do that with my six-year-old daughter, and uh, it's working, I'm telling you. Oh, good. <laughs> he, uh, you know, like, I'll have my iPod in there. Yes, I'm still listening to the iPod on there. Um, and I'm a big Beastie Boys fan, right? And oh, so the Beastie Boys come on, Hey Ladies, when I picked her up, I don't know, like this was like, I'll never forget it, it was like a year ago. And for like, I don't probably three months straight, every time she got in my car, Daddy, hey ladies, hey ladies. <laughs> and it, it's, you it's awesome. You so, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm doing her a service. You know, you gotta, you gotta have, build a good wide variety of musical tastes. So, uh, all right, well, cool. We'll send you out with a little third eye blind here, Sarah Sivian. We appreciate you joining us. And uh, you wanna tell the listeners where they can find you on uh, social media? I appreciate you having me. It's just Sarah Sivian, S-A-R-A-C-I-V-I-A-N, on all social media. All right. That's easy enough. Sounds good. Well, uh, I will see you around the rinks, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right. Awesome stuff.
feeling energy feeling I believe in the faith that grows and the full life can make me cry when I'm with you I 